Beth Bennett. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, March 16, 2021. The ketogenic diet has indisputable health benefits, but it's tough to cut out almost all carbs from your daily diet. Today's guest has developed a supplement that can get around this problem. But first, let's take a look at some of the recent news in science. at the University of Buffalo have developed a 3D printing technology that can rapidly produce human tissue and organs. This amazing biotechnology could eventually save countless lives lost due to the shortage of donor organs. In the research, which was published last month in the journal Advanced Healthcare Materials, they produced an intact human hand in only 19 minutes. Their fabrication technology uses high-velocity movement of a gel through a 3D printer. The shape is controlled by light-sensitive materials and suction. Blood vessels are distributed in the growing structure by a microprinting process embedded in the larger printer. The press release from the university includes a remarkable time-lapse video showing the process. I'll put a link to that in the show notes in the How on Earth website. Dr. Brianna Stubbs is the lead translational scientist at the Buck Institute, the world's first research institute for the study of aging. As translational scientist, she spearheads efforts to move basic science research into clinical and daily application. Today we hear about her research background in the applications of ketosis for health, performance, and resilience, and how ketosis can be attained by ingesting a product being developed at the Buck. Welcome to the show, Brianna. It's really a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're quite welcome. So um, as listeners of the show know, I've been interested in ketosis and the ketogenic diet for a long time. And you have a really interesting um, path that you traverse to um, work on this because you came not only from an academic background, but from an athletic background. So you were kind of able to put some of the hypotheses about the advantages of a ketogenic diet into practice. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your experience with that. Sure. So um, I was at Oxford University studying medicine. Um, I was on track to be an MD. And you cover um, metabolism in your kind of biochem 101 classes, but don't really go very much into into some of the more I guess, like edge metabolic states. So I'd heard of ketones, but, you know, they wouldn't really have come up that much on my radar other than this sort of maybe thinking about diabetic ketoacidosis. And so um, I think it was in my second year at Oxford, I saw an advert for a research study that needed athletes to come and drink ketone drinks and row on the rowing machine. Um, And I took part in that study and that got me really, really interested into in the idea of um, using ketones more as like a fourth food group, ketones themselves, rather than getting the body to produce its own ketones and what the implications of having ketones as an extra fuel source could mean for athletes. So um, following following being a participant in these studies, 
I did a year of research as part of my kind of master's project and then moved on to studying a PhD which focused on supplementing ketones. So a way to induce ketosis without being on the ketogenic diet and looking at what the effects and benefits and, and pitfalls sometimes of these approaches are. That's great. So before we go further down that track, which of course I want to do, we should start by defining the terms for our listeners. So what exactly is a ketone and what is ketosis? Sure. Okay, so ketones are small molecules that when they're made naturally, they derive from fat. So they're very small and simple. And they're a way of the body making fat into this simple energy source that can be used as a fuel in the brain and the heart and the muscles uh, in times when we're running a little bit low on sugar. So uh, evolutionarily, uh, when we were starving or um, in periods of say religious fasting or uh, that kind of time where you're not able to intake adequate dietary carbohydrate, um, your body would start turning fat into ketones and then those ketones would circulate in the blood and the body could use that as energy instead of sugar. So I think most of uh, most listeners will have kind of had that you know, 4pm slump, you know, long enough time after lunch and that sort of feeling of your energy levels dipping. And this is like a common sort of phenomenon like hypoglycemia in between meals. So your sugar levels are running low and it's hard to concentrate. And so if we had not had an alternative to sugar um, to supply our body with energy, then in time we'd have lost our consciousness and not been able to keep ourselves alive with prolonged starvation. Now fats, um, we have a lot of energy in our body stored as fat, even someone who's really, really lean has thousands of calories stored as fat. But the big problem with fat is that it can't get into our brain very easily and be used in the brain as a fuel. So we need to have a way of converting that fat into that simple ketone molecule in order to keep the brain functioning. So the ketone bodies are just a small fat derived fuel source that can be used as an energy. Um, and some of our work at Buck has suggested there's also other roles that ketones can play in the body as well, but we can discuss that later, but primarily an energy source. Yeah, I'm really, I'm sorry, I'm really glad you mentioned their size because um, people might not really be aware that fat molecules are really big when we mm -hmm. compare them to the building blocks of carbohydrates. And so that's one reason that we preferentially burn carbohydrates. But, you know, you, you mentioned that post-lunch slump. I'm so glad you said that because it seems that there's a transition period during which we have to adapt to this process of burning fat. So, you know, I get that slump and the first thing I want to reach for is more carbs. Mm. But if you're fat adapted, then, or if you're eating a higher concentration of fat in your diet, then that'll smooth that out. Sure, exactly. So if you are on a ketogenic diet, then you're consuming a very, very low amount of carbohydrate. So you don't get spikes in blood sugar and you also don't get the kind of compensatory decrease in blood sugar that happens when your body has released insulin to bring your sugar down. And then sometimes it overshoots a little bit. So if you're eating carbohydrates at every meal, depends on whether it's like a high glycemic carb or low glycemic carb, but if you ate a handful of candy, you would get a big spike in blood glucose and then likely, you know, an hour or so later, you would feel kind of like a bit of a come down because your blood sugar will plummet very low after as a sort of a rebound effect. So not, I, I'm definitely not in the camp that carbohydrates are, are, are a bad thing to include in the diet, especially as a, you know, a, an athlete competing in high intensity sports. But um, for the average Joe, someone who's, you know, fairly sedentary at the desk most of the time, 
giving yourself big spikes in blood sugar with candy or sugary drinks or very simple meals and rich in simple carbohydrates that can lead to peaks and troughs in energy which can be avoided if you switch around a little bit the macronutrients you're eating and get um, a little bit more fat which doesn't cause the same peaks and troughs in uh, substrates in the blood. And so do you think that if you have a diet that does smooth that out, but is not necessarily a true ketogenic diet, which is one that's typically extremely low in carbohydrates, but if you, on the other hand, um, supplement in a way with fat throughout the day, do you think that you still get some of the benefits of ketosis? Well, it's really interesting that you say that. Um, so there's been research studies of people who have a low carbohydrate breakfast. And I think this actually study might have been done in diabetics. So they give them a low carbohydrate breakfast and then normal carbohydrate intake through the rest of the day. And even just decreasing the carbohydrate intake at breakfast leads to an overall improvement in their glycemic status or their sort of markers of glucose uh, metabolism in the blood. So I think, you know, I, obviously a ketogenic diet, um, it has some therapeutic benefits for people with certain health conditions. Um, it can, if it's a bit daunting for people to approach sort of out there on the street, you can start by reducing or lowering your carbohydrate intake at one meal a day. Or sometimes when um, thinking about athletic training, athletes will deliberately have one day where they eat quite low carbohydrate for that whole day if they've not got that much intensity or that much volume. And so you can actually be a little bit more day-to-day um, -day strategic about when you eat carbohydrates. So, you know, um, you might want to have some carbohydrate before and or after an intense workout, but if you're just going to do something that's very steady, um, then you don't need it so much. So um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you brought up the study with diabetics, uh, because I spoke with Gary Tobbs a few weeks ago about his book, and he's really in favor of ketogenic diet for mm. weight loss, but also for diabetics, which makes so much sense, because if they have problems metabolizing carbohydrates, then it seems that it seems obvious that they should be reducing carbohydrates and maybe they don't have to reduce them all that much as yeah. you pointed out by mentioning that study. Yeah, I think at the, at the end of the day, the way I've tried to approach everything in my life is that every time that we you know, make a, a decision, whether we're gonna get up and get natural light or whether we're gonna go for a walk or whether we're gonna stay seated at the desk all day and then what, what do I eat? All of these small decisions impact on my health and my health span and my eventual longevity. But at the end of the day, we can't be perfect all of the time. So some diabetics um, might be able to adhere to a ketogenic diet and they find the lifestyle like very pleasant and it helps them to manage their blood glucose and improve and you know, maybe even go into remission and not need so many diabetic diabetes medications, but that's not possible for everyone. So in that those settings, then even um, lowering carbohydrate intake at one or two meals a day or doing one 16 hour fast a week things like that are all small choices that you can start to make that will compound over time to um, help you be healthier i think that the value proposition of a ketogenic diet can be hard for some people because you know you read the literature and you know the science does support that 
to get maximal quote unquote benefit, you do you do best if you adapt to the diet and you maintain it for a prolonged period of time. And part of that's because we need to get our bodies to express the, the machinery and the enzymes and the proteins that will help our body metabolize fat more and be less reliant on carbohydrates. So, you know, um, sometimes the ketogenic diet can seem a bit like you're either gonna be on it or off it. So in a way, this is where my research interest sort of sits a little in the middle where it's like, well, how do ketone esters or supplemental ketones work to help people bridge that gap between a normal diet and um, a ketogenic diet? And is this you know, a helpful tool for those people to, to maintain adherence? Yeah, I'm so glad you raised that because that was my next question is, how about these so-called exogenous ketones, the ketones that you can take sort of as a supplement, the ketone esters, how do they work? Mm -hmm. So uh, ketone esters are like compounds that are precursors to ketone bodies. And once you consume them, most of them come in a liquid form. Your body can break them down because we eat esters in our diet all the time. So this is quite an, you know, natural digestive process. So the body will break down the esters and release the precursors into the blood. And the precursors are used by the body to make ketone bodies. So you can have uh, be in a state of ketosis or have high ketone levels in the blood without having to follow a ketogenic diet. And, and it also the onset is very quick. So you'll take one of these uh, ketone ester drinks and within an hour or so you'll have ketone levels that are almost like you've been fasting for days and days on end. So um, it's, it's a way of rapidly giving the body ketones as an energy source. And also, as I mentioned, ketones have some signaling effects that might affect health span as well. What ketone drinks don't do is make do get the body into this like uh fat burning lowered glucose kind of state that would be the same as if you were on a ketogenic diet because you i could take a ketone ester and then follow it up with a pizza and a donut and i would still be in ketosis as well as if i was in uh, a state of natural endogenous ketosis so endo means like within the body endogenous um this uh you know, if I ate a pizza and a donut, then I would be out of ketosis very quickly because if you eat carbohydrate, that stops the natural ketone production in the body. So um, I often like to point out to people that sometimes people say, oh, exogenous ketones, it's the keto diet in a bottle. And it's not really because a lot of people are following the ketogenic diet for weight loss and glucose control benefits. There may be, you know, the, the ketones in the blood are kind of a secondary thing that they're interested in. And so for those two primary benefits, it's not really known yet whether exogenous ketones would give you those same benefits. So if we think about exogenous ketones as a way to provide the body with a sugar-free, keto-compliant extra energy source, an alternative to glucose, so you could switch out your orange juice for some ketones, say, if you if you enjoy sipping on that instead of an orange juice, um, but that would be a good health choice. Now, the other thing to point out is that ketones contain calories. They are an energy source. So if they're not used as part of a calorically you know, balanced um, diet or a, a diet and exercise plan, they're not gonna help you to lose weight by yourself. So ketones, uh, exogenous ketones, as I repeat again, are definitely not a keto diet in the bottle, but they do get you into ketosis. And that um, means that your body can be burning ketones for energy and high harvesting some of the benefits there, especially 
um, some things that I'm particularly interested in is that especially in some health conditions and as we age, our body's ability to burn glucose and sugar does tend to decline. So if you were to put someone in a brain scanner, you would maybe see evidence that their glucose metabolism was declining years and years before the onset of some symptoms of cognitive decline. And so it's not really clear yet whether that declining glucose metabolism is the chicken or the egg and how that fits into the development of cognitive decline. But studies are showing that the brain, even when its ability to burn sugar goes down, the brain can still burn ketones. And so the idea is that by providing the brain with this alternative fuel, you're going to be uh, mitigating that kind of energy starvation and potentially helping to keep your brain healthier for longer. So this is all the kind of hypotheses that we're working on um, at the Buck Institute and, and with sort of partners outside as well. Yeah, so now that you're at the Buck, which of course focuses on aging research, do you have some studies ongoing with people to look at the effects of ketones as they age on things like cognitive ability and neurodegenerative diseases? So um, I, a lot of the science work that I do at the Buck is mainly focused on developing these ketone esters for human consumption. Uh, but in terms of testing efficacy, I work with a colleague, John Newman, and he, his lab is testing ketone esters in certain syndromes of aging in the brain, so delirium and Alzheimer's disease. So we're kind of closer to the disease model there. Um, once we have uh, our tool compounds developed and, and approved for human use, then I hope that we'll be able to partner with clinical centers across the US and actually see some of these hypotheses be tested. But people are already looking at running similar experiments with other ketone esters and ketone salts, other ketone products that exist. And the early results are really, really promising. So people are looking at these compounds in the brain and the heart, as I said, and um, among other things, and obviously still looking a little into some of the athletic performance work that, that I was involved with back at the time of my PhD but myself definitely more interested in getting um, clinical health span, lifespan and disease related studies set up in the future. Yeah, that sounds great. So one other question about the ketone esters is, is there any way to assess whether there's a qualitative or even a quantitative difference between the ketosis that's induced by diet versus by the esters? Um, that's an interesting question. So I mean, what you could do, I don't think there would be a difference in quality because especially with the ketone esters that we're developing at Buck, because of the precursor that they provide, they actually get converted into ketones through the exact same natural pathways that the body would be using to make ketones from its own fat. So the only difference would be that the very, very upstream precursor was from our drink rather than from the person's fat cells. So in that regard, I don't think you would be able to tell a difference and you'd have to do something clever like uh, make your ketone ester with a label, uh, a tracer on it, and then you could collect um, air and urine and right. look for the appearance of, of the ketone ester in that. But if you had someone who was on a ketogenic diet and then you gave them, excuse me, a ketone drink. I don't think, and, it was, and the ketone drink was unlabeled. There wouldn't be very much, uh, very much way to tell between those the natural ketones that that person was producing and the ketones that had been naturally produced, but from the different precursor source. If that makes sense. Okay, sure. And are there issues with 
taking the ketogenic drinks? I mean, are they difficult to digest because it's a fat, it's a fatty substance? So uh, not that we know of to date. So the ketone that I worked on at Oxford is available as a consumer product and it's been on sale now for maybe four years and um, it's recognized as safe by the FDA for use as a food ingredient and it's been used in numerous clinical studies. So this class of compound, you know, there's nothing to make us suspect that they would be difficult to digest. Um, our new compound, uh, again, it's sort of like working on the same principle of uh, having esters that break down and the testing that we're doing so far is sort of showing that they're also easy to digest and also induce ketosis rapidly as well. But we've just done less human testing relatively because it's been only been more recently developed. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. I might, I tried to get some from one of the companies a couple of years ago, but they were out of stock. I'll have to go back yeah. and, and try well, again. <laughs> the thing about ketone esters actually at the moment is that up until now, they've been very expensive to make because um, you need very pure precursors. Um, one thing that's like a nice little factoid that your listeners might like, and it kind of speaks to your earlier question about, well, what's the difference between natural ketones and ketones that come from a bottle, is that um, when you do a chemistry reaction in a lab uh, on a bench, you end up with, um, with some compounds, you end up with what's called a racemic mixture, which means that the compound that you make in your beaker on the bench is a 50-50 mixture of a left-handed and a right-handed form. So the ketone body, beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is the main one that we find circulating in the blood, it has this property of handedness. So uh, there's a left-handed and a right-handed form that, are, you know, like if you look at your hands, you've got four fingers and a thumb, and they're structurally kind of the same, but they don't overlay on one another, they're mirror images. So if you um, make a synthetic ketone on a bench and you don't do any purification, you end up with this mixture of left and right-handed forms, but our body is really smart. And so biology only makes one form, it makes the right-handed form. And so if I took a blood sample from someone who was on a ketogenic diet, it would only be this right-handed form of ketones. Now, if you have a ketone product, um, not ketone esters, because these tend to be purified, but there's some products called ketone salts, which are kind of powdered forms, and that's ketones bound, ketones bound to a mineral like sodium or potassium or chloride. And if you uh, took a blood sample after someone had drunk that, typically those salts are not purified, so there'll be a mixture of the left and the right-handed forms. And so you could distinguish in the blood from, from that type of synthetic ketone, but that purification process is kind of expensive. So um, that uh, drives up the price of ketone esters because they're doing this extra step to make sure that you only get the form in your body that's exactly identical to the form that your body would produce. So for example, when I first um, launched, helped to launch a ketone ester product, one single serving that would last you for one sports race cost around $33. So it was a real premium, very, very expensive yeah. product. Yeah. And now the type of ketone esters that we're working on, we haven't got a exact fixed price yet, but they're looking like they'll be more like one third that price. So as people get better at um, scaling up the manufacturing processes and things like that, we're gonna see significant reductions in, in the cost of these things. Um, right. The other sort of friction with ketone esters is the taste, which I think I mentioned, but they're um, quite bitter. So esters are, are what gives our food flavor. And so when you get a very concentrated aromatic kind of um, ester, then 
it can be very strong and bitter. So it's hard to make a product that people will like to drink um, that contains ketone ester. But, you know, this is again, where we find at the Buck, we're really good at collaborating with people from industry to, to get the best food scientists to work on ways to make esters easier to drink. Right. And now that you're in a position of translational research at the Buck, I think we'll probably be hearing more of that kind of work coming out. Yeah, sure. I'm guessing. I'm definitely, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm definitely a little bit um, of a, a, I have a very different role to some of the other PIs at the Buck because I don't oversee a lab per se, but I do oversee a program of research that takes place at the Buck and elsewhere a little, um, but it sort of synergizes all of this basic science that's done in animals through to product development and clinical trials. And even I help, helped a little bit early on with some of the production and manufacturing questions as well. So it's um, very, very atypical to some of the people that you have spoken to already, I think. Right, but it sounds really interesting because you have your fingers in so many different pies and you're working on so many different projects. You probably feel mm -hmm. like you're burning the candle in so many places trying to yeah it's, it's odd it's odd on the one hand speaking to uh, like the marketing people about like what science are allowed to you know what scientific claims are allowed to make about ketone esters and then on the next call i'll be speaking to the people who are running the very detailed um, animal safety studies about you know some very small nuance of biology so it definitely um it swings in roundabouts so it's very it's never a dull moment well, this has been very interesting. Thank you so much, Brianna. I'll put a link to your website on the buck and to some of the work that you've been doing so that my listeners can follow up on it if they want. Of course. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Brianna Stubbs talking about the use of so-called exogenous ketones to produce a state of ketosis in the body without the need for following a rigorous ketogenic diet. Ketosis or the state of having high levels of ketones in the body can be protective against some of the deleterious effects of neurodegeneration due to aging, as well as for maximizing one's athletic performance. You can find out more in the links to the Buck Institute in the show notes on the How on Earth website. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. I'm the current executive producer, and I produced this week's show. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Aram Kachaturian. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, links to websites cited in the show, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett.